Okay, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and this morning we're picking up at verse 19 again, so we should be able to finish the chapter. Let's open with a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you for your word, we thank you for the things that uh, you want us to learn from your word, and, and for all the things we've been learning from 1 Corinthians. Father, we pray you uh, bless our time this morning together as we uh, look at your word, help us to understand the things that you are teaching from it. Pray that uh, my teaching will be clear and we'll be able to understand through your Holy Spirit and what it means and how to apply it in our own lives. We just pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so for our context, let's start reading in chapter 4, verse 14, and just read through the end of the chapter. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Jesus Christ, I have become your father through the gospel. Therefore, I exhort you, be imitators of me. For this reason I have sent to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord, who will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, with, which agrees with, with what I teach everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you very soon, if the Lord is willing, and then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with the love of the Spirit of gentleness? Okay. So last week we, we started, we were at verse 14. Um, Paul had really been hammering them, a lot of sarcasm. Um, and verse 14, he, he starts out, I do not write these things to shame you. Well, <laughs> after what we've read, it was kind of a surprise to see that. His purpose is to admonish them, to correct them. And the, the sarcasm was necessary because of their pride. You know, it's kind of like you have to break down what they've set up in order to go down to the foundation and start over again with the right attitude. And so he was tough with them, but that's, you know, he, he wasn't out to destroy them. It was to um, basically break down the bad stuff so he could rebuild what they're thinking. And they're, one of the problems was is they had rejected his teaching, his authority. And so he's trying to reestablish that, and he he came across as um, analogy of being their spiritual father. You know, I'm I'm your father. I've, I'm the one who brought you to Christ. You should listen to me as you would to a father. You should respond to my um, uh, discipline as you would to your father. And so we saw that analogy uh, going through these verses, in verse 15 and and 16. Um, but then he, the, the problem was is that some of them said Paul's never coming back we don't have to worry about his discipline he's just gone away he's sending us letters uh, he's not coming back we can do as we please and that was the arrogance that we saw uh, in verse 18 and so this morning we're picking up in verse 19 where he says I am coming back. So looking at verse uh, 
Well, I'll read 18 through 20. Now some have become arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills. And I shall find out not the words of those who are arrogant, but their power, for the kingdom of God shall, does not consist in words, but in power. So his plan is to come back, but again, he subjects it to God's will, uh, as the Lord wills. He outlines his plan in chapter 16. So let's, 1 Corinthians, let's turn to chapter 16. Someone like to read verses 5 through 9 for us there, 5 through 9. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia. And perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter, so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. For a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Okay, so he's writing from Ephesus, and he's going to stay there until Pentecost, which is like May or June. And so get, it getting into the summertime, and, which is good weather to travel. And so he's going to head kind of north and west from Ephesus and come into northern Greece, which is Macedonia, visit the churches there. Um, we have Philippi, um, Thessalonica, the Berean church. And then he's going to head south and he says uh, um, he'll come down to the southern part of Greece, which is Achaia, which is where Corinth is. So that's his plan. But again, he says, if the Lord wills. And because he knows his plans can change depending on what God wants him to do. Let's turn to Acts chapter 16. He's had experience with this. <clears throat> Acts chapter 16, would someone like to read verses 6 through 10 for us? Okay, so they were, had gone um, north, they were going through the area they'd been previously, the church at Galatia, they were going to visit that, and some other churches, they were going to go into uh, what is the, the Roman province of Asia, which is, I think, now Turkey. So they were still on the east side of the Bosporus, which is technically Asia. And... God sent them a, uh, a vision in the night of a man in Macedonia saying, come to us. Macedonia was on the west side, so they're going into Europe. Um, now, was there anything wrong with Paul's plan to go up to Turkey with the gospel? No, nothing. I mean, it was a good plan, yeah. It just wasn't in God's timing. It's just God had something else he wanted him to do, yeah. 
I'd rather have you go over here to these people. You know, they're, they're ready for the gospel. So, um, so Paul's, Paul's had experience with, you know, if the Lord wills. <laughs> he already had, uh, had to change plans once before. People aren't always patient with that, though. No. <laughs> so I'll say, well, if everything works well, I'll be near field by section section. But if I don't break down, if the weather doesn't change, <laughs> people are very disappointed. Let's look at James chapter 4. We'll stay. Another example of submitting to God's will. James chapter 4, someone like to read verses 13 through 16. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know that your life, what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. Okay, so if we make plans and we're absolutely certain that we're going to fulfill our plans, it's like, that's arrogance. We don't have that power, that ability. Uh, you know, as God allows us, or God directs us, is where we end up going. Um, and so he, he remarks it about that being arrogant. And Paul's, Paul was not arrogant. He was submitted himself to God's plan. He would make plans that he thought were consistent with God's will and head out in that direction, but then God would steer him and he was always submissive to that. Um, so his plan is to come back soon to Corinth. That did not happen. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians. Someone like chapter one, someone like to read verse 23. I call God as my witness, and I stake my life on it, that it was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. Okay, so here he, he's, um, they, they did repent. There was a lot of discomfort and, um, and sorrow there. And he's saying, you know, I've just decided to stay away for a little while longer um, and, and not to... Uh, and to spare you more uh, sorrow by coming and uh, disciplining you, because you're responding. So he did not come immediately. Now it is assumed that he made it back uh, later. Let's look at Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. And remember, Acts 18 is where he visited Corinth the first time. So. Or a couple ch chapters later. <coughs> Acts 20, someone like to read verses 1 through 3. When the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples and after encouraging them, said goodbye, set out for Macedonia. He traveled through the area speaking many words of encouragement to the people and finally arrived in Greece where he stayed three months because some Jews had plotted against him just as he was about to sail for Syria, he decided to go back to Macedonia. Okay. 
the uproar was in Ephesus. That was, and, so, and that's where he had written uh, Corinthians from. Now his plan was to go through Macedonia and, and then visit uh, Corinth. And that's kind of, that's what he does here. But it's, it's been delayed. He spent longer in Ephesus, I think, than his original plan. But he's going down uh, through Macedonia and it says he came to Greece. So Greece is really the southern part of, uh, I guess you call it the whole country, which in other places is called Achaia. So the northern part is Macedonia, the southern part is Achaia. And that's, how many churches were in the southern part of Greece? Do you remember where he visited? He visited Athens and he visited Corinth. Was there a church in Athens? Not that we know of. They were too uh, sophisticated for this <laughs> foolish message of Christ. So that's where he, it doesn't say Corinth, but Athens, in, in... Athens is Mars Hill, right? Pardon? Mars Hill, that was in yes. Athens. Yeah. So at the end, end of verse 2, it says he came to Greece, and that probably means he came to Corinth. So it's not clearly stated, but so he does make it back, although it's not as soon as he as his original plan. And it says he spent three months at, at that time when he got there. <clears throat> so back to 1 Corinthians 4, he says when he does get to Corinth, he's he's gonna see if the these arrogant leaders can live up to their talk. They talk big, but do they have the power of God? Uh, in their words. And we see that Paul does. Let's go back to chapter 2, 1 Corinthians, chapter 2. Someone like to read verses 4 and 5. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of this spirit power, so that your faith might not rest in human wisdom, but in God's power. Okay. So, you know, he's saying, I. I I came speaking God's word, and I did not come uh, as an orator or a, or a debater uh, to try to reason with you and, you know, like a, um, oh, with human wisdom, basically. But I came with God's words, and those came with power. Uh, let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We've got another uh, passage that talks about God's word and power. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Someone would like to read verses 3 through 5 here. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Okay, so here Paul is talking about the power of his message, which is uh, God's word, the truth. Um, you know, and sometimes uh, I have a friend who, who loves to go on YouTube and watch these theological debates. Uh, people from two different um, 
backgrounds with you know theological differences, and they debate with each other. You know, I I, I look at that as being like a political debate. <laughs> you know, they're just you know there's human logic, there's quick wit, there's these gotcha moments, but when you're debating scripture with someone, you rarely listen to what they're saying. And I've talked with people before, you know, I'm saying, you know, saying this is what I believe, and you can tell the gears turning, okay, what is my standard response that I'm programmed to give to that, to, de to deny what you're saying? Yeah, it's just a, it's a total waste of time. You know, if, if someone wants to listen to what I believe and listen to my explanation, Fine, I'll tell them it. But if, but if they're interested in debating it, it does not uh, profit anybody. Um, I remember talking to Everett one time when you talk about, well, you know, we talk about the rapture, pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, pre-wrath, and he he said, I don't care what your position is, I can shoot holes in it. <laughs> <laughs> he said, he just kind of says, yeah, I, I love to debate with people on this one. <laughs> uh, it's, you know, yeah. it's really true, though, in so many of our conversations, and you, know, you even think about conversations with unbelievers where uh -huh. we want to work in the gospel, but a lot of times it becomes, okay, you know, how am I going to prove this, or how am I, yeah. you know, where, it seems like it should be a little more relationship driven. Yeah. If we have that relationship with the Lord, that should permeate and be attractive, mm -hmm. and then we, you know, we share out of that, and right. then your life will have somebody listen a little better. Yeah, right. yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I I like to tell someone, well, this is what I believe, and this is why I believe it. This is how the pieces fit together. You know, I, I'm not thinking, okay, how can I shoot holes in your position? Yeah. So it's. Um, God's word has power. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 55. I think Isaiah might be my favorite book in the scriptures. This is where God really displays his glory. Over and over again he says, you know, I, I will not give my glory to another. And that's in Isaiah. <laughs> Isaiah chapter 55, and would someone like to read verses 8 through 11? 55, 8 through 11. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, propose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Okay. Verses 8 and 9 basically are saying, God is saying, I'm a lot smarter than you are. <laughs> you don't understand. You really don't understand. You don't grasp what I'm doing. Um, that has to, you know, we, we've been talking in this section about arrogance. You know, Paul's talking to the arrogant, you know, God's wisdom versus human wisdom. And this is God's opinion on human wisdom. He said, you just don't get it. <laughs> Maybe in glory. Yeah, what? And I don't have to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> you don't get it, I don't have to. I don't have to explain myself to you. Just do it. Yeah. 
Um, but then in verses, <coughs> excuse me, 10 and 11, he talks about his word. You know, um, you know, he gives the example of, you know, rain is what causes things to grow. It causes the seed to sprout and the plants to grow. He says that's what his word is like. It has the power to enter and do what he wants it to. You know, he says, it shall not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire it de and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. God's word will be effective. Um, you know, and God works through his spirit to make sure it's effective. Um, and that's why, you know, human logic, human persuasion doesn't have that kind of power. But God's word does. So that's what Paul is coming back to Corinth to find out. Are they speaking God's truth? And does it have the power of God behind the words? Or is it just empty logic? Now, in verse 20, back in 1 Corinthians 4, it says, For the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. That's the point we've been trying to make. But he talks about the kingdom of God. Um, and, and this is a term that, that can refer to different things. In some cases, it refers to what we would call the millennium, the, the prophetic kingdom where God has promised to the Jews to bring their Messiah. He'll sit on their throne, rule over the earth with a rod of iron. You know, um, as a dispensational church, we believe that there is a thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. Uh, Israel will be restored according to God's promises. So that's the prophetic kingdom. In some cases, uh, you'll, like in the commentaries I was reading, it, they called it the eschatological kingdom. Eschatos is the Greek word for last. So eschatology means study of the last things, which is really the study of prophecy. So if you see that word eschatology, that refers to future events and prophecy. So this, he, in, in this point, he's not referring to that kingdom, to the millennium. He's referring more to God's overall sovereignty and rule of the universe, which, um, and God's rule over his people. You know, we're, we're not in a millennium now, but you know, God is our king. Um, and there's, there's several places where we see that, uh, you know, this is not, you know, God's not ruling on earth with a rod of iron. Let's look at John chapter 18. This is what Christ says to Pontius Pilate. John 18, verse 36. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Okay, so Jesus is a king, but he's not ruling in Jerusalem on earth at this time. Or at least, it, you know, as he stood before Pilate. Um, and he's basically saying, Pilate, you don't have to worry about me right now. <laughs> I'm not here to take over from Rome. That's not what's going on. Let's also turn to Philippians chapter 3. 
Philippians chapter 3, would someone like to read verses 20 and 21? Okay, where is our citizenship? It's in heaven, right. It's a heavenly kingdom, and that's what we're in right now. Um, going to some theology in our, our church's statement of faith, we believe in the pre-millennial return of Christ. That we'll go through a tribulational period, Christ will return and establish a thousand year reign on earth that is still future. Um, if you're amillennial or post-millennial, basically you believe this, we are in the kingdom of God right now. And when I look at the prophecies in Isaiah and the other, I'm thinking, they don't match up very well. This, um, you know, Isaiah says anyone who doesn't live to be a hundred is thought to be cursed. Well, <laughs> I don't know many people who are not cursed then, because <laughs> we all die pretty much before 100. Um, so, you know, the, the facts don't match up with the, with the uh, theology. So, to me, the, our premillennial return of Christ and a literal millennium are necessary to explain the prophecies. Okay, so... What he's saying here is God does not rule with rhetoric and empty words like the politicians do. He rules with power and he accomplishes his will through his word and through the Holy Spirit. Going on to verse 21. What do you desire? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? So here Paul finally gives them an ultimatum. They have a final choice. So are they going to continue to resist his authority and his teaching that God gave to him? Um, or are they going to repent and submit themselves to God's wisdom? And so here he goes back to this analogy of his being their father. So how is he going to come to them? You know, they've been misbehaving. And daddy's coming home. <laughs> How many mothers have said, when dad gets home, he's like, yeah. Wait till yeah. your father gets here. Yeah, wait till your father gets here. So that's kind of the analogy here. Uh, wait till your father gets here. Um, so he's exhorted them to follow his example. He wants them to straighten up, do what he's been telling them to do. Um, but if he fails to do so, if they fail to do so, uh, he has to resort to discipline. And so here we have the rod and, and we can contrast that back with uh, verse 14 where he says, I wanted to admonish you as my beloved children. And that was a gentle correction. He wanted to be able to correct them gently. He doesn't want to have to hit them with a rod, which is a more severe discipline. Let's look at a couple passages from Proverbs about the rod. Proverbs chapter 13. Proverbs chapter 13, would someone like to read, us, read verse 24 for us? Whoever spares the rod hates their children, 
but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Okay. What do we normally hear? You spare the rod, spoil the child. Spoil the child. That's what you always hear. No, it's, this is, you spare the rod because you hate your children. If you love your children, you will give them the discipline they need to straighten them out. He who loves him disciplines him diligently. Now, it doesn't say to beat them to death. I mean, the, the Bible never says to abuse your children. But you discipline them as necessary. Um, let's turn in Proverbs to chapter 29. Someone like to read verse 15 for us. Proverbs 29, verse 15. The rod and reproof give Okay, so rod and reproof give wisdom. You learn from discipline. And that's the point of discipline, is to give wisdom, to learn how to live properly. Um, and then the contrast, the child who never gets disciplined, um, he brings shame to his mother. <laughs> There's a couple of places where it talks about shaming the mother, and I'm wondering, well, what about dad? <laughs> He's the one who's supposed to raise his children. We've, we've seen that in... Uh, First Timothy, I don't know exactly where Robert is this morning, but uh, you know, the, to be a, to qualify as an elder, you have to keep your household under control. So it's the man, you know, Paul there says it's a man's responsibility. So he's the one that should be ashamed. Okay, so, okay, yes, go ahead. Or implemented a new tardy policy to try to get kids to class. Uh -huh. And so I had this conversation with this mother who calls, and she wants to just excuse everything for the last week because oh, her fine. son wasn't feeling well. And I said, well, you know, I'm looking at his attendance. There's a few times you know, he was tardy. And she goes, yeah, I just don't want him to be penalized. And I said, do you, do you know what the penalty is? It's like a lunch detention. It's not that big of a deal. <laughs> you know, it's just a little... A little <laughs> slap on the wrist to try to get him to do the right thing. <laughs> And yeah. she's like, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, we're not going yeah. to lock him in a cell room in the basement for all day, yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah, the punishment, the point of punishment is to correct. Um, and, and God is our example of this. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Someone like to read verses 7 through 11. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of Spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while, as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, in order that we may share in his holiness. Okay, oh, living also. No, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Okay, all things work together for good to those who love the Lord. He 
disciplines us for our good. It says it's not fun, it's not pleasant when we need it, but it is for our good. God wants us to be holy. Um, he wants us to be righteous and have peace. So God is our example of beneficial discipline. So, so Paul's saying, you know, if you refuse to repent, if you refuse to submit to, to God's word and, and my authority and the teaching of, the, of God's word, you know, I'm going to have to come to you with a rod. That's your decision. But, he says, I'd rather come with love and a spirit of gentleness. So if they submit, if they repent of their arrogance and submit to his teaching, um, then he can be gentle and loving with them. And he's already sending, we saw that he's sending Timothy to remind them of his ways, of his teaching, of his example. So he's doing everything he can with gentle admonishment and encouragement to try to correct them. Uh, but if they continue to be stubborn and refuse, then he's going to have to be more severe. And it appears that uh, they did not necessarily all respond as Paul hoped. So let's turn to 2 Corinthians and chapter 10. <coughs> Second Corinthians chapter 10, and would someone like to read verses 1 and 2 here? By the humility, humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you, I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold toward you when away. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be toward some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. Okay, so here he's, this is kind of like a threat again. He says, do I have to be bold when I come to you? So he's kind of giving them another warning. There's a lot of repetition here in 2 Corinthians of what we're covering in 1 Corinthians because they were not responding. So he tells them again, you know, you're saying that, you know, either I'm not coming or I'm weak and, and you don't have to worry about me and, uh, disciplining you and he says no I will come and be bold and as much as I have to be so um, he'd rather be gentle with them but if necessary he would be bold and uh, strong in his discipline I just don't picture Paul being gentle most time <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's, it's not a minute I think he would be more of the bold <coughs> yeah but he wants to be timid he wants to be peace and kind and yeah, and there's, there's passages where it talks about, you know, like he was trembling with fear as he went, you know, so I don't think he was uh, as bold as sometimes we get the image of it. Because I, I kind of looked up one time, because I heard him, it seemed like I remember he was, they talked about Paul being the Lion of God. Well, there's a book by that title, but I don't know, as you go through scriptures, you see... Um, in many cases, you know, he talked to the Thessalonians about being a, um, like a mother to them, you know, tender like a mother, and to the Galatians we looked at last week, you know, do I have to give birth to you all over again, like a birthing mother, you know. Um, I, I read so. some about Jonathan Edwards, mm -hmm. you know, who wrote Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, yeah. and, you know, I remember reading that and just going, whoa, and then I read that he was very... <coughs> 
quiet, and even when he delivered the message, it was kind of head down and it yeah. was just very subdued. Monotone. Yeah, yeah. So maybe writing yeah. sometimes, you know, what he had to write had a different sound than his actual <laughs> presence. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that's an example of what we're seeing here. You know, do your words come with power? You know, Jonathan Edwards, he was, it wasn't tremendous rhetoric or debate or um, soaring oratory. It was, this is God's word, and this is what God says. And if you don't respond, you're in trouble. <laughs> and it was delivered with this uh, straight monotone, and, and, and people, it, the words came with power. So. Okay, well, we look now starting verse chapter, excuse me, chapter 5, and uh, just kind of an introduction. I'll, I'll read verses 1 and 2. We don't have time to get, really get into this. It is actually reported that there's immorality among you, and immorality of such a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife. And you have become arrogant and have not mourned. Instead, in order that... The one who has had done this, that had done this deed, might be removed from your midst. It it appears almost as though we've got a complete change of subject matter here. Um, but when you start looking at it, he mentions the sin in verse one, and the rest of the chapter deals with how are you responding to this, and he mentions. Um, in verse 2, you have become arrogant. That's what we've been dealing with for the first four chapters, is the arrogance of the believers who are leaders in Corinth. So really, he's the main problem is the arrogance of the believers, or the leaders, and how they're dealing with this particular sin. So um, we'll look at the sin and then we'll spend the rest of the time looking at their arrogance, how they're dealing with it, and what's a that problem, which is kind of a continuation of human wisdom versus divine wisdom that we've been covering for so long. But we can't really get into it, so we'll do that next week. So I think we'll have all of uh, Gloria's relatives will be here, and we can talk about <laughs> incest. <laughs> See, that's another problem with teaching God's word because you get to the <laughs> you teach what comes up when it comes up and what, when God wants it. So um, we used to have children's church and we were going through the Bill Gothard's books. And I got twice I got to teach on the rape of Dinah. <laughs> that was the worst story in the whole books, and it came up on my, yeah. Oh, well. And everybody uh, else was like, yay. <laughs> yeah, Daryl got it again, yeah. So. He's going to have it, he's going to do it again. God is sovereign, and we submit to God's sovereignty, and we'll teach what he wants us to teach when it comes up to teach it. So. Okay. Well, let's close in prayer. Uh, Joe, would you like to pray first? Sure. Give <clears throat> Thank you for the time. I hope your word is set up for us. It's a living word that does 
does transform people. It changes people. It's um, something that does work in people's lives. Pray we'll be submitted to what you have for us. That we will listen to the words you have. That we will listen to them and, and make them change our lives. Let us walk where you want us to walk. Let us guide us where you want us to go. We thank you for this hour. We pray for the next hour to come that you will be here, that we'll be worshipful, that we will be li listening with, with attentive hearts, that we will have what you have for us. In order to thank you for this family that we have in this church, and we just thank you for the relationships we have. We pray for Amen. Amen. Yeah.